0: you get the headset. I had the one and the little one in the ear and then, yeah. uh, I would find that sometimes it would cut out when I was talking to people on the phone. So I have yeah, so this, yours
1: was too, cause that's, that's why I took mine off, but it's just because I was having so much issues. People were like, um, I can barely hear you. I can barely hear you. And it's like, this is happening way too often.
0: Well, if it's here, but I would like lean back and put my head up and it would cut out. It's some of it's some of me moving. And in, in fact, it's probably all of me moving, but so I got the one that I, have at home because it's bluetooth it connects to my cell phone um so it's much easier to it's just a much better way of doing it at home and thought so i stuck the thing the bluetooth dongle in the handset here and i've started using here but now i've got the little uh messing up my do man (laughs) um just don't talk like
1: this don't talk
0: (laughs) i know keep my head up here right You're listening to Financial Insights, a podcast that helps investors through the difficult maze of financial planning and saving for retirement. I'm Brian Ullman, and I'm a financial advisor and certified financial planner at Ford Financial Group. And together with some guests and other advisors at my firm, we're talking about the issues and questions relating to finance that face our clients every day. Before we begin with a frequently asked question, I I don't know if I already told you this, but I've been... Moonlighting on my tennis racket with a dentist different tennis racket. Did I tell yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh man, I like I like the new used one I bought, and I'm struggling. Honestly, I mean, there's nothing
1: wrong with that. You just experiment and find out. Like yeah, today I today's can. the first day I'm going to try out my new pickleball uh, paddle. Um, I will tell you that pickleball paddle is is gritty compared to like my other one. My other one's not a, like a cheap, you know, it's not a cheap paddle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. but like i was feeling this one i was like wow this is this has got some coarseness to it
0: well I, so, it's probably easier to adapt to a new tip pickleball racket than a new tennis racket Oh yeah, yeah. I think, the whole I, nine I
1: think the variance on tennis rackets you know size and everything is pretty pretty extreme like you can like i've tried nadal's which you're like oh nadal's racket like you know it should be a good racket i couldn't hit the ball with it like i mean it's just yeah. so hard to like
0: well, the both they're they're both the old one and the new one are our head. Uh, okay. So I guess there's some of that consistency. But sure. I, I'll tell you, oh, we uh,
1: uh, I was using Babel. I was using Roddick's Babol. Then I went to the tried Dolls Babolot, and like I couldn't do,
0: I couldn't. These too different. Yeah,
1: it was way too different.
0: And that's, but you're still playing with Babylon right?
1: Yeah, I still play. I play with a bat, like another version of a Babylon So
0: like, you're, you're, oh no, no,
1: sorry, sorry. I've been I now I've been using Wilson. I've been we- using Wilson for the last seven or eight years. But I started off with Babylon for my first seven or eight years.
0: Well, your forehand is top spin city. So keep <sighs> doing what you're doing, man. It's, <laughs> it's filthy. I Henry asked to go play pickleball this weekend. And so we went out for a little while on Sunday and it made me sad. <laughs> I was like, you sure you don't want to bring the tennis racket? He's like, no, let's go try it. I think he just wanted to try it because he hears about it. But yeah. I, which is maybe true of it. I'm everybody. limited.
1: Like I said, I'm limited right now because I don't ha- I now have two pickleball pals, but
0: yeah. Well, well, he's playing tennis tonight. So enough with the pickleball for him. I can't speak for you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, let's get let's get enough. this is a financial podcast video. Webcast, whatever it is that we're calling it, and so um, we will need to start an entirely different one if we want to talk uh, tennis and pickleball or tennis versus pickleball. Um, So we have a the frequently asked question we're starting with today um, is the well probably this is probably the single most often asked question of any financial advisor is how much should I be saving for retirement? Um,
1: And it's hard. It's a hard. You you kind of got to answer this in different ways because there's always the caveat versus like the general, yeah. um, you know, a standard answer. Um, you know, everyone's going to be different is the
0: first way you would probably cap. Well, it, it's right? an impossible question, right? Right. If, if you're spending $10,000 a month versus $2,000 a month, well, you're going to need different things to bridge the gap. If you have a big pension or tons of social security between you and your spouse, like Maybe you don't need to save as much, but that's yeah. that's where the math comes in, right? So
1: so I will say this. Um, I, I work with a, a retirement plan that has you know a 1,000 employees. And so I don't get to spend a lot of time with each individual, not well enough that we're going to know their own situation, right? You right. So have to be able to answer some of these questions kind of broadly with, again, some kind of caveat. And that is probably one of the most frequently asked questions. You know, how much should I be saving, saving into this retirement plan? And my, my general rule of thumb, I tell them, you know, you know, general rule thumb, probably somewhere around ten to fifteen percent of your your earnings need to be going into a retirement plan. They have, you know, a, a plan where the employer gives them an automatic contribution. It's not a match; it's an automatic contribution. So I tell them, you know, you could back you could back into that. That counts as part of the ten to fifteen percent. But that is that is one of the rule of thumbs I will give out to them. Yeah. Um, if I just have to spit out some kind of number without getting into details.
0: Well, I think people want to say, "Oh, well, you need a million dollars to retire or a million dollars invested or saved, or you need five hundred thousand whatever the number is, but it just doesn't it doesn't work that way. I mean, you're talking as percentage you're talking in per- terms of percentages of income and things like that, and that's really what you need to look at. I mean, if you re- if uh, retirement is a cash flow analysis, yeah, how much is coming in? How much is going out? So what's coming in? Is it pension, social security, rentals, rentals. Uh, whatever it is? Okay. Now how much is going out? And yes, this requires a little bit of work to know, but if you have more going out than coming in, then you need to, when you retire, when you've stopped working, then you need to have saved enough to bridge the gap. Generally, they, what is it? There's some dispute in our field, I guess you could say four to four and a half percent withdrawal rate on your investments is considered sustainable. Correct. So... Take four percent of what you've saved. If that income, combined with Social Security pension and any other kind of income, will get will meet your expenses, then you've got kind of a back of the napkin number on what you need to be saving. Um, yeah, going back
1: to that million dollars, you know, in, in retirement, if you use the four percent rule, then you're, you're generally you're generating forty thousand dollars of income a year. You know, which, as you said, can be um, added to your social security, pensions, rental, whatever, whatever the other income sources are. Yep.
0: Now, so that's so I guess we're talking back in the napkin numbers, but this is where this is where we come in at. You're a certified financial planner. I'm a certified financial planner because more uh, analysis needs to be done right? Because I'll just use this as an example. $40,000 10 years ago, got you a whole lot more than $40,000 does today with all the inflation that we've had over the last couple of years. So a lot of what you need to do is do things like inflate expenses, take health insurance into account, depending on when you're retiring, do a social security analysis. Should you take, should you wait? Um, uh, not just inflate your expenses, but also add in other things that aren't maybe baked into your expenses. Well,
1: course, goals not. change in retirement. People yeah, often you have getting
0: you married. You're gonna need to buy a new car, I'm sure, a few times in retirement. Um
1: people have expectations in terms of what they want to give to, you know, maybe heirs uh, when they yeah. pass away. And so therefore they don't want to to dive too deeply into assets while other people are fine with it.
0: Yeah. It's more than just making sure you can pay the right. pay the uh the the cable bill or whatever cell phone bill. Um Well, that's good. I mean, I think that's a good place to start this kind of answer to the question Um, because the answer to the question is how much you need to retire. And the answer, I guess, is to whatever you need to bridge the gap between what you have coming in and what you have going out when you're done working. So you're not going to get a number answer from from any halfway decent financial advisor, any decent at all financial advisor. They're not going to say, oh, you need X number of dollars and you'll be fine because it's, that That part of the equation is unknowable for if if you're trying to give a blanket answer, so um I'm sure we're gonna have to answer that one a uh a handful of times, but uh I think that's a good a good start and then, you know we'll we'll tackle all of the other big questions i guess down the road in future ones like uh you know I don't know um the the, the how much do I need for retirement is very abstract, i guess. As opposed to like, what's the best way to save for college or something like that? Because that can have a bit more. That's a much easier to find answer. Yeah, yeah. That's a much easier, much more definitive answer. Um, Or at least for most people. Uh, and I think in the future we can say, well, I use this. I think you and I probably take the same approaches for our kids. But we'll save that for the next one of these. Uh, Today we are talking, when we're going through our charts, Our uh, we we have decided to task ourselves with two charts, one each. Um, we were going to be joined by Eric Simonians, another CFP and advisor here in our office, but he's tied up. So we still have three charts. We just have two people. Um, so we will go through the the charts. I, Ryan, I think we can chalk this next one up as um, uh, kind of another frequently asked question, uh, which is uh, what's going on with the the debt ceiling. And what's going to happen with the debt ceiling? Because time is starting to run out uh, for Congress to raise the debt ceiling. Yeah. Uh, The Treasury Secretary warned that uh, we're going to run out of uh, room to service our debt by June 1st. And even that is kind of a moving target.
1: Yeah. As I have meetings, this is the the number one concern right now. I think people have moved away a little bit from interest rates. Not focus so much on the economy, but the yeah the immediate news headline right now is is the debt ceiling. People want to know what's going to happen. Um, you know what the what the impact potentially could be.
0: Well, um, and I the- guess the the answer is that there is potential here. I think it's low likelihood but high impact that if they don't deal with the debt ceiling and pass some sort of resolution to this, that it's going to be pretty drastic. But we that's we don't think that's what's going to happen. I guess right. Is- we we can begin here. Although fixed income markets are starting to have to price in the possibility here that um this could happen. So we're right here we're we're looking at uh, credit default swaps, right?
1: Yeah, so just to give everyone, you know, we don't want to, you know, make this too complicated, but Think of a credit default swap as a way to protect yourself if you have an investment. Um, you know, and in some ways it's a way to kind of hedge or insure yourself for something ain't happening really bad. So you go it's and buy insurance again. against
0: default, right? I think yes, that's how we can simply put it.
1: So in this case, obviously, you know, n- n- people don't foresee that generally the US is going to default. So this is not an insurance that's uh, or, or investment that's really typically very expensive to buy. But yep. you can see there's points and times where it, it, it goes up and becomes more costly. Um, 2011 was you know a, a time somewhat similar to to this time where we had issues and we de- cost, and we defaulted and we defaulted yeah and the cost the cost you know went went up for the the price of a credit default swap and so this is just kind of a way to look and see you know is insurance or this this mechanism to hedge your risk. Does, is it becoming more expensive and as you can see by the far right side of the chart it's been more expensive than it ever has been in, in you know the last you know 14 14 15 years um and you know so it is becoming a concern for the financial industry that you know these these instruments are being bought right now
0: yeah well and you mentioned that 2011 was when this really came to a brink we got on the we were on the brink and maybe even one could argue tipped over the u.s credit rating was downgraded but i think there were some tricky maneuvers that kept us going and kept us from technically defaulting um and the deal got done not in the 11th hour but in the 11 and a half
1: hour or
0: one tick to midnight um but we can go back to 2011 and see what went on one could argue over the last 12 years, we've amassed quite a bit more debt at at cheaper levels. And so the implications could be worse here, but at least this is, this is what happened to the indices um, during the debt ceiling crisis in 2011. So I could this provide a bit of a roadmap. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I think it gives you an idea of kind of the knee jerk reaction that the markets can make when headline news takes over, people are uncertain. And the, as we always know, the market hates uncertainty. Sure. And this is kind of where we are today with, we don't know what what uh, what's going to happen in Washington, the timeframe in which it's going to happen. Yep. Um, you could kind of see here, really the large stocks in the US held up at least better. Everything was going down. Yeah, so but- let,
0: let, me, let me jump in here because if someone is just listening to this and not actually watching this video, uh, what you would have, what i will try and link to the show notes in the podcast. But uh, the the Nasdaq was down more than thirteen percent. The S and P five hundred was down. We'll call it a nineteen and a half, nearly twenty percent. Uh, I think op, you could take the optimistic view and say those outperformed small caps, which were down anywhere between twenty five and thirty percent, um, between uh April and October of that year. But that is – that's that's getting crushed. Yes,
1: right? yes. Uh, you know, the riskier element of being a small company um, was what got punished the most this last time. You can draw correlations and say that the scenario of 2011, the debt crisis, and we're having a debt crisis now, is, is similar. Um, you can't always just say that the same game plan or the same – you know stocks that did the best you know over 10 years ago is going to play out the same way that it is today that's that's a questionable you know thing to 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 try to predict as we know the market's unpredictable um and we'll just have we'll have to see you know how how this plays out because again we know the nasdaq has had its troubles and you know last year but has been doing really well this year and yeah it's hard it's hard to know what's going to happen in this next few weeks
0: yeah yeah and it's not like um 2009 and 10 were good for markets and so you've got 2 years of a pretty good run but it was also coming off of a a nuclear bomb size hole from 0, 08 or you could argue the end of 2007 all of 2008 and beginning of 2009 so um we're coming off of a pretty big hole last year but it's not i I, I don't know it would it wouldn't would it surprise you if the S&P lost 10% if we got really close to the debt ceiling I think 10%
1: seems like a, it's a, probably a fair number. Some of these numbers that are on this chart are I think a, a, a bit larger than I would expect, especially well, yeah, like after a year. Of, uh, yeah, after yeah. a year like last year where we were down to to combine that with these seems seems a bit a bit drastic. Yeah.
0: Well, and as my old law school professor likes to say, if we slice the baloney thinner, you can take a look at the sector returns. And they tell a little bit of a different story. What do you know? Financials performed the worse the worst from their April highs to the October lows in 2011. If we're looking backwards down more than 30%. Um,
1: you're kind of having a financial problem when you're talking about debt. And I think financials get kind of tied into that. Now, now, as we all know, the 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 latest issue that we seem to be dealing with the last couple of months has been a financial issue which, with right. the banks anyway. So so they've, they too already this year have had a tremendously tough time um, you know, and so I, it's hard, hard to say whether they're going to be the ones that are going to go down the most if we do run into problems with the, this current debt ceiling, but you can see like consumer staples, the things that you got to be buying. Um, those are what people flock to in terms of, of stocks because they are going to be the least affected as companies.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Defensive sectors, utilities, consumer staples came away okay. relatively unscathed. Um, offensive cyclical sectors, obviously led by financials were, were easily the worst. Um, I don't know it, this, that's why I say this is, I think unlikely because the results would be, I don't know if catastrophic is the word, but man, this is like, it's self inflicted and it would really, really hurt not just investors but everybody and the country for, for that matter
1: well there's a set there's a sentiment to this too if we go past uh, or we actually do default even if we default by say a day or two days right in a yeah. short amount of time it's like you have egg on your face. Um, and there's also the credit rating uh, rating agencies that get involved in this and you know you know how they how we are now perceived going forward can be different. Um, Because again, we decided to default versus getting this fixed before, before, before it actually happened.
0: Yeah. Um, I get, I, and I, I think it's not just as if things are going to go well and then go bad. Once we hit, if we get close or hit the debt ceiling with every day that passes, the screws are going to get turned more and more, certainly by markets. um, And in swaps, you're going to see it. You're going to see the, the, the pressure begin to intensify a bit. Um, there is some grumblings, or there were over the weekend, that a deal is largely struck, but now we need to go through all the political theatrics to get us there, which is a, encouraging and a pathetic political commentary <laughs> all in the same stroke. Um, but it's about
1: about what politics is, though, um, for us right now is that yeah, if they have yeah. they have a deal that they could be reached, but they got to go through the strokes to to, to uh, save face and do what yeah. they need to do because well, that's and what politics is. Let's
0: let's be crystal clear like Congress created a budget and they're financing it through debt, but now they don't want to pay for the checks they already wrote. This is not about our ability to pay. This is about our willingness to pay. And if you think it's a good idea for the U S to not pay its obligations, uh, you're in the wrong place. You know, I I don't know how else to put it. Um, Well, I, I think using these, these last using 2011 as a bit of a, a guide if you will it's not a perfect one for one but we can at least see what happened maybe this can provide some context and create some expectations where you can say hey we've had a good run we could very easily give it all back in one shot on the equity side if this doesn't get done so you need to prepare for that possibility um i haven't had people running for the exits yet i don't know have you no, there is actually a
1: flip side. We don't have a chart or uh, any graphics to sh- to show um, what happened after um, in the second half of two thousand eleven. but you know as things were resolved, the markets did come back the The year as a whole was actually flat. Um, yes. we lost quite a bit in the middle,
0: but two thousand eleven I- and two thousand and thirteen also were not great years. I think thirteen was when we had the gret the was that Greece? Yeah. Yeah. Defaulting the Germans wanting to loan the Greeks more money on the on the contingency that the Greeks started acting more German. <laughs> it, was, it was quite a time coming out. But, you know, it took years to flush out what went on in 08. Right. And now it's taking years to flush out what went on in 2020, um, even though we didn't have a bad year in markets like the Just the the distortion that has come from the great financial crisis and then covid. It, it just takes years to wash out. And this is, I think one of those things where it's going to take it's, this is part of the process, unfortunately. Right. Um. Okay. What are we reading, watching, listening to? So we
1: started, my wife and I started to watch a show called beef. Have you heard of this on Netflix?
0: I have heard of beef. I have not watched. Beef. Okay. So summary is we're only four,
1: like four, maybe four episodes in. It's pretty, it's pretty good. It's It's kind of, an exaggeration of of like two characters that are super, super stressed for different reasons um, that come and cross each other and they have an incident um, where they cross each other and kind of took each other off. And it's kind of their, their story of, you know, they're antagonizing each other throughout the at least the first four episodes, um, but you can get the idea of like what happens with people generally. I think these people are you know in their forties or so or late thirties and forties with everything being very stressful, and they kind of get set off. Um, yeah. And so you know th- through this, you kind of see what see what happens. It's a little cringy and, and and you know in the sense of like how how people are acting, but that that's what makes it a good show. Yeah, it's been it's been good enough that I will continue to watch it.
0: How many, how many is it a bunch of episodes or is it just I want to one? Mike, my, my guess is this is only in season one.
1: Um, and again, I'm only halfway through, so I can't even tell you, you know, how how, how far this is going to go.
0: Okay. Well, but it, it's,
1: a, it's a season. My guess is it's probably eight to 10
0: episodes. Um, I, for I, I will have to add that to my list. It hasn't, I've been watching stuff that. Season stuff kills me. Like, I don't have eight hours to contribute to something. Give me give me a movie for two hours and call it done. You know, let's wrap it up. Um, I, I haven't been watching anything so much. Um, I have been. So I listened. I, I've read um, a, a kind of an older book, but it's If These Walls Could Talk uh, Stories from the San Francisco 49ers. It's baseball season, I know, but I'm still <laughs> smarting after the loss for the 49ers, so I had to read a book about the Niners. It was okay. It's a bunch of short stories about kind of locker room stuff. Um, I did listen to one thing interesting. Uh, the uh, episode 127 of the All In podcast it was an interview of Robert Kennedy Jr., uh, who apparently is a presidential candidate. Um, you know, and I've talked with some clients. You know, everybody is ready. It's that time it's of going year to be presidential election soon. Right. I, I certainly don't, I don't know what his odds are of winning and I'm not even sure I agree with what he's talking about, but I think it kind of begins. He the- definitely
1: had some different views. I, I, I heard the same podcast uh, this weekend. I kind of spliced it up and listened to in different sections. Um, yep. I do appreciate that the podcast may be a form to have different candidates on it sure. where you can hear, hear them. And you know, the, the uh, commentators on the podcast are very well educated, smart yeah. people to help a- a- ask some questions um, and in a different, uh, in a different form than we're used to hearing it. Yeah, and I think
0: it struck me that Kennedy has the benefit of being able to think in the abstract because he doesn't have as much that he's beholden to, or you know, his his angle is coming from a different angle, right? If you yeah. can call it that. So I had some Andrew Yang vibes, also. You know, I not that he, the, you either of these guys are like in line with one another, but it's kind of outsider with different ideas. I think was the, yes. like, the change. Right. I guess There. So right. it'll, it'll be interesting. I'm not sure I'm recommending it, but it was an interesting <laughs> listen. Um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm almost done with the 49er book. So in, in two weeks, hopefully I'll have something a little bit more substantive for you. But if you, if you're missing football season and you just watched the draft, then you can pick up the, uh, um, the Matt Barrow's book. He writes for the athletic. So that's how I found it. Anyway, all right. Well, we've been going for a little while. We'll leave it there. Um, I will say I forgot to mention this at the outset, but if you're watching this on YouTube, I'd say subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you're listening to this and you've made it all the way to the end of the podcast and you're not subscribed yet, that doesn't make any sense. So you might as well subscribe to the podcast. It's on Apple, Spotify, Google, all of the other places where you can listen to podcasts. Um, We also, we talked a little bit about social security last week and we had a, the social security meeting was a huge hit. Uh, We don't tend to record these things and distribute the recordings, although we did record this one because we hit capacity. Uh, And so if you are interested in seeing the recording of our social security uh, seminar last week uh, with our expert from um, principal uh, email either one of your advisors here if you're a financial if you have a financial advisor at Ford Financial Group or you can email us at the info at FordFg.com email address and we can work with you to get you um the a copy of the recording and maybe even the slide deck so you can follow along. There was some really there was some really good information in that one. Wouldn't you agree, Ryan?
1: Yeah the the individual went over a lot of different situations. We actually had a it lot a of of questions. um, Good questions, too, by the audience, which I help. I think helps you know with things that other people are thinking of. And so, yeah, absolutely. Even, even the Q and A was very helpful. I think to if if someone's wanting to rewatch this. Yeah,
0: I would more. say even I know I know we're running a little long. The the most interesting thing I think people learned was that your your Social Security benefit estimates keep adjusting, and so Social Security is going to presume that you're working, 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 and that you're projected benefits are going to be on you continuing your current work trajectory so if you retire and you're not collecting benefits and then you start registering years of zero income with social security suddenly it's not that your benefits are going down but they're going to not estimate them growing as much so it's going to feel like it's coming down if that makes any sense um good job keeping track it's just it's 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 just a little bit more dynamic than just reading the statement and presuming that's what you're getting because that's not exactly the case on this Okay, we'll leave it there. Ryan, we'll do this again in two weeks. Awesome, Uh, thanks. Until then, I will catch you later.
2: The advisors with Ford Financial Group are registered representatives with and securities are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, and SIPC. Investment advice is offered through Perennial Investment Advisors, a registered investment advisor. Ford Financial Group and Perennial Investment Advisors are separate entities from LPL. The opinions voiced in this material are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. All performance reference is historical and is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Stock investing involves risk, including loss of principle. No strategy assures success or protects against loss. The economic forecasts set forth in this podcast may not develop as predicted. Ford Financial Group, Perennial Investment Advisors, and LPL Financial do not provide tax or legal advice or services. This information is not intended as a solicitation or an offer to buy or sell any security referred to herein.